This is the Quantum Tech Pod, brought to you by Inside Quantum Technology, covering industry analysis, data, and market forecasting for quantum technology markets worldwide. Now, here's your host, Christopher Bishop. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Quantum Tech Pod. This is going to be a place where you can find conversations with leading thinkers in the quantum information science space. My guest today is Lawrence Gassman, who's the president and co-founder of Inside Quantum Technology, an organization that runs two events a year, IQT Fall and IQT Spring. Uh, He also leads a distinguished team of researchers called IQT Research, and they put out uh, reports and analysis around trending in the quantum information science space. We're going to talk a little bit about that today as well. So, Lawrence, welcome. Delighted that you're here. Thank you very much, and thanks for inviting me, Chris. So, Lawrence, some people may know you from the IQT events, but I think they don't have a sense of you know what you did before quantum. So I thought it'd be interesting to share with our listeners a little bit about what you did before you got into the quantum technology space. Can you give us some background? Well, of course, I'm very old, so um, I've done lots of things in the past, <laughs> but I... I uh, I actually began thinking I was going to be a philosophy of, of science professor and started on my PhD, which, um, among other things, was very strongly related to quantum mechanics and the history of quantum mechanics and the philosophy of quantum mechanics. So that's where I thought it was going to be, but um, a lot of things happened, which I'll spare you. Um, and <laughs> I end up, ended up not getting a PhD and moving to the United States, um, getting married and moving to the United States. And the, the job that I got first was writing market research reports, actually at, in, initially on all sorts of things. Mm. Um, and then uh, within a relatively sw- short space of time, I began writing market research on the telecommunications and data communications industry, which was a very hot topic back then. This is in the 80s, um, and went on doing that for a long time and formed a, a fairly substantial company, which is still around. Then um, Telecom and Datacom, at the turn of the century, this century, by the way, mm-hmm. we went through um, a downturn, and I uh, started a company in nanotechnology uh, and another one in 3D printing, which I'm still involved with, and then relatively recently, uh, with the help of 3DR, started uh, IQT, Inside Quantum Technology or whatever you want to call it. So that's my background. Yeah. So always kind of at the bleeding edge. I mean, I think of nano and virtual and now quantum. So thinking, are there lessons that we can take from the evolution of telecom technologies and those kinds of partnerships? I know in the 80s, right, there was a lot of really interesting, you know, merger activity and companies trying to figure out where telecom was headed. And wondering if there are lessons or use cases that might inform the ongoing development and application of quantum technologies. So there are, um, and actually, it's it, you know having seen new technologies pop up, not just IQT, but inside quantum type of stuff. Um, first of all, some of this is well known. Uh, we're seeing uh, a great deal of excitement in the area, a great deal of hype. Um, although I have to say that at this point, there's less hype with quantum than I've seen with other things. Um, but that may change in, in the next year. Uh, uh, and of course, what eventually happens is that people get exhausted, um, especially when the hype doesn't happen, and you begin to get a sort of 
uh, almost like an emotional decline around the topic. And, and you'll probably see that with quantum. You get over it. Um, you know, I'm still in the telecom business and other aspects of my life, and it's doing just fine. It took about five years to get there, and I think quantum will do better than that. But, you know, people are late with investment, invest with the wrong things, and uh, mergers and acquisitions don't always turn out the way you think they're going to do. So, yeah, there's just a lot of similarities. One thing about quantum yeah. though, is that the technology is much more complex than anything I've seen with anything I've worked with before. Yeah. No, for sure, right? It's a whole other level of complexity. So what about like adjacent businesses? I know this is, um, you know, they're always sort of ancillary and adjacent businesses. Can you speak to where, you know, where you think that might be going? So I, I know we were at a recent event, we had a gentleman from the Optical Society talking about sort of the picks and shovels aspect. Like the, not only are, you know, we need computers and sensors and networking gear, but the adjacent businesses, could you just, well, reflect the, on that for a minute. Things, yeah, the four things that really make up uh, quantum are the ones you mentioned, but the one you left out was quantum encryption, uh, what's now being called quantum safe, mm -hmm. which is probably the area that's making yep. this money at the moment, actually. Uh, but then there's adjacent areas that kind of overlap with other things. You mentioned optical, which, of course, was my first love in the sense because it's very much part of telecom. And, you know, a lot of companies who are interested in the optical components of things I was interested in the past and now into this, you have very similar components, essentially refrigerator technology, some sorts of quantum computing mm. need um, to be cooled very, to a very degree, not all of them. So some of the com companies that are doing cryogenics for uh, other things <laughs> are also getting into it. And, um, you know, I could go on really. Um, a lot of stuff that has been around yeah. for a long time is seeing a new market in quantum computing, quantum sensors. Uh, you know, quantum sen sensors are obviously a huge market, and quantum sensors are sort of a new arrow to their, to their bow, for instance. That's a great segue to what do you think might be the first widespread real-world business use of quantum technology? So the one I left out, the quantum safe space, which again encompasses sort of multiple um, aspects. You think that's going to be... Yeah. Well, I don't know if there's a game changer. You know, everyone's looking for that application that brings it out there. I think there are maybe three or four things that right. you have to really look at. Uh, in terms of what's happening now, uh, really most quantum computing systems are going into R&D, and that means either people doing R&D on quantum computers and, and the systems are not complete there. In fact, we think about half the quantum computers are actually just sitting there doing work for um, companies developing quantum computers. But R&D, because very complex calculations are essentially what quantum computers are about, uh, is going to be a major part. Uh, the military and defense, definitely number two for quantum computers and quantum encryption. No doubt that they're spending a great deal of money on it. And some of the big corporations are also looking at, at quantum encryption, um, you know, especially financial services. Um, so I think they're the big ones. The yeah. other one that interests me, and it's just beginning to happen, is small quantum computers. Um, the story for the last few years is essentially quantum computers are a supercomputer, you know, and they're going to be big things that only very large corporations and governments have. And of course, you know, the, the computing industry made that mistake a long time ago. There was only going to be 10 computers <laughs> yeah. and whatnot, and then... And, uh, computers there are in the world now. But. 
a lot. Right. And what is is particularly interesting is um, people are now being beginning to talk about and build what used to be called in the classical world industrial computers. In other words, relatively small computers that act to control factories or uh, hmm. traffic control yeah. or all sorts of things. So they're still an R&D project, but once you get to that, the whole quantum world changes both in terms of what it can do and also in terms of where it can be applied because you see different numbers for quantum computers in terms of price, but you know, $10 million is, is the kind of thing. And most companies can't afford for that. But what happens if it gets down to $250,000? Then, you know, medium-sized companies who actually need one of these things can, can do that. There are quantum sensors out there that you can buy, by the way, and uh, to some extent, quantum encryption devices, which is a big deal. So so that's an issue. That sort of begs the question of like, so, you know, you're implying maybe desktop uh, quantum computers at some point, you know, you reference like ENIAC took up an entire room and now we have, you know, more power than that on and a watch you can wear on your wrist, right? Yep. But do you have a sense that certain like qubit solutions are going to drive this sort of minimization, if you will, of um, of of quantum? Or is it too early to tell? Like, is it's it going to be photons or cold yeah. quantum? Or? Well, photons are a different issue. Um, you know, quantum technology, which is what we're talking about here, all the different aspects of it, use, you know, microscopic devices, uh, elementary particles, right. essentially, and they can be different things. I mean, they could be electrons, mm -hmm. a quantum random number generator or two uh, that use electrons, and a lot of things that use photons. So there's, for, people have talked about photonic classical computers for a long time, but now they're talking about photonic uh, quantum computers. and Classical photonic computers have never really happened, but perhaps they will in, in the quantum world. Um, yeah. So there's also been talk about, um, I mean, someone posed a question at our last IQT event about, to your point, you know, it's $10 million to get a quantum computer installed on your site or whatever. And I think IBM's putting what, where, at Cleveland Clinic, they're, they're saying? That was a big announcement. And then I think two weeks ago, they announced they're putting in one in Japan, and of course they've got twenty-five installed. That they'll basically timeshare with you if you if you want if you want that. Yeah, so. well, that's what I, that's what I was going to say. Is that I think, and someone made the point that actually, it, to some degree, it is more democratized than you might think. That you can access uh, quantum uh, computers to you know to run to do research or check algorithm functionality or whatever. I mean, Amazon Bracket and Google has uh, has availability. And IBM has now, what, I think 16 cloud-based quantum computers. So that brings up another area, which is clouds. Um, they're called quantum clouds, but actually mm -hmm. the same as any other cloud computing. Um, you know, if you, were, if you use Apple Cloud as I do, um, it's basically the same thing. <laughs> There's nothing quantum about it, but it will connect you to a quantum computer. Right. And the second part of that, of what you call democratization has to do with pricing because you know if it's not mm -hmm. 20 million dollars whatever i said a million dollars 10 million dollars it doesn't matter yeah. a lot of companies won't be able to afford it yeah. it's still pretty expensive to use a cloud by the hour but what a number of companies are doing and probably really all of them are doing are basically giving free time to researchers um 
you know, we're talking about minutes sometimes, but it's a lot you can do in a minute with a quantum computer. So, um, you know, that will right, right. eventually go away. Uh, but right now, it, you know, one of the big issues about quantum computing, quantum anything, technology, encryption, is there aren't very many people around who know anything about this or have the, the real skill set. Um, you know a lot about this, Chris, and you've spoken on that. So it's in the... Com- quantum computers and, and quantum encryption companies uh, interest to uh, get people familiar with this, even if they're just giving stuff away. Um, it is very hard yeah. to find the right people. And, and, and you know, that was, true, that, that was true in the early days of just regular classical computer, too. And it took, it took a few years. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, went, I went to Manchester University in, in, in the 60s and and they were the only company. They were the only university in the in the UK that actually had a, um, a degree in, in in classical computing and regular huh. computer science. Wow. Like computer science. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. Segwaying into and maybe based on some learnings, you've been involved in leading edge technology for many years. Um, Want to get your thoughts on challenge of challenges facing the creation of a global community to drive adoption and progress in quantum computing or quantum technology writ large. I mean, things like regulatory issues, right? Policy, levels of funding, government agendas. I mean, we're seeing sort of the nationalization of quantum solutions or where do you see it heading? And there's, if you're talking about funding, there seems to be enthusiastic funding uh, from governments of yeah. all kinds and across the world. The, you know, as I found out last time I was putting um, together a conference, absolutely nothing changed between uh, the Trump administration and, hmm. and the Biden administration. It just went right on like nothing had happened. So I think everyone is getting yeah. this. You see huge sums coming from, from uh, small countries. Um, the, uh, and forgive me if I got the exact number wrong, but I think the Dutch government just uh, contributed 650 million to their right. project. And they're very advanced in that area. And by the way, there are partners and in, in the conferences we, we run. Um, but you know, uh, 650 million probably isn't a huge number for the U S but, uh, Holland's much smaller and Finland with VTT's work and Israel, yeah. um, doing a lot of mm. stuff. Now, you know, these are all very advanced com- countries with lots of PhDs and all that, but they're really committing to this and apparently reasonably successful. They will know more, you know, a few ne- years from now. I think there's yeah. a community coming out of the government work that's being done, of course, and of course through, like to think through our conferences, uh, but also organizations that aren't quite, in Britain we used to call quasi- governmental organizations like QEDC, which helps, which is actually Department of Commerce, uh, which helps. So there's a lot of things going on. You know, they all um, go towards it, but a lot's going to depend on what the success rate is, uh, both in terms of performance of the machines and encryption and sensors and all these things. And, and you know, whether uh, some of the very high valuations uh, that we're seeing at the moment will turn out to be non-crazy i'm uh, i'm biased I, we do valuations <laughs> in our company <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the, the numbers come out high and they come out high because we think the markets are going to be very high so obviously that impacts the valuations of companies so the community is developing politics will also matter because it always does and uh the yeah. fact that 
quantum is is now kind of an issue between China and the Western world is 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 certainly mm. sensible impact creating a, a worldwide community in in perhaps ways it hasn't in the past. I mean, it certainly didn't in telecom. Um, you know, there was a lot of co- in you know advances in telecom. So, sort of on that note, and continuing that thread, can you tell our listeners a little bit about the work? that you're leading at Inside Quantum Technology Research, right? IQT Research. Like, what reports are you and your team working on? And again, as an indicator of where you think there should be focus or where you see focus, right, and value, back to the valuation question. So, I I don't think I could list all of them, but for instance, we've done a, a big market forecast model for quantum computers, um, where they're going to be deployed by end users types, you know, finance and material science and all that. Um, and, right. by, uh, and by type, meaning number of qubits they process. And we're going to be extending that, I hope, I hope by September. I will also have another report out on quantum sensors. I mean, people don't usually talk about quantum sensors because it's kind of boring compared with quantum computers. But that was our best-selling report the last time we did that, um, by far. Huh. Um, and yeah. um, uh, we've also done uh, reports on the the three big things that people talk about in encryption, which are quantum n- random number generators, uh, quantum key distribution, and uh, whatever it's called these days. It changes name frequently, but uh, post quantum encryption. And I can I can explain all that if you want. But but they they've been big sellers for us. But we want to expand actually, and we're always looking for people who who want to write about this stuff. So let me do my my free little employment ad in here. Um, uh, please get in touch with me. Yeah. That sort of qualification. But and and what they're actually about is the companies in that space. What their strategies are, um, financial performance if we can get that, uh, and then uh, a market forecast of whichever area we're looking at. Those two things are, are pretty much what the reports are about. So just to reinforce, yeah, anyone listening who is interested in writing uh, research and analysis for IQT Research, please get in touch with uh, me or Lawrence. We'd be delighted to talk to you. They do need to know something about the topic, and that's one of the big problems in quantum for us, yeah. which is anyone else. Let's close by talking about the next IQT event, IQT Fall, which is scheduled to occur uh, November 1 through 5, coming up in a few months. Uh, I know it's going to be a hybrid event, so that's very exciting, based on the success of people being able to attend from remote places or geographically distributed locations, um, which you know opened up the number of uh, participants. I think we had, again, f- people from 46 countries at our last event, which was fantastic. So can you describe a little bit about you know, what topics are, gonna, are we going to focus on and Right. Um, well, um, it, who might it, be there? Yeah. So it's a business conference, um, first and foremost. First and foremost, but of course, it's a very technical subject. So, um, in a sense, it's also a technical subject. But the people who will be there, I think, again, the numbers are actually up on our website. But something like fifty percent of the people who showed up for the one in November were either C-level executives or marketing, business development kind of people. And then we have, you know, engineers and we have students and all, all sorts of investors. And I suppose this one will be the same in that respect. Where it won't be the same is 
um, it's going to be a hybrid event, and that's very exciting and a little scary for us. Um, everybody knew that this was the direction that we were going post-COVID. And in my opinion, in our opinion, actually, we ain't going back. Uh, there's some things that hybrid events <laughs> uh, do. You know, you mentioned 46 yeah. countries. Well, guess what? You just did it in New York. We wouldn't get 46 countries. Um, in, you know, prior COVID, we got like five countries or something. I don't know. Maybe I'm downgrading it. But so it, it's very useful. Hopefully, a lot of people are going to want to actually come to New York, and it'll be fun. We have a nice facility on the west side, and, and there'll be food and, and, and an exhibition, a live exhibition, and, and uh, not just our mm. exhibitions, but it turns out that live exhibitions do much better and are much more nice to visit than online ones. In terms of topics, we're doing every conceivable thing that's quantum and that has some commercial implications. Everything from little component thingies to big quantum computers, lots of sensors, uh, lots and lots and lots of encryption, because that's really where the, mm. the focus is now. Um, and um, uh, some stuff on the quantum internet and quantum networking. Um, you mentioned two conferences, and that is what we've got up there. We will probably have four events in the next 12 months. I don't think I'm allowed to talk about them in any detail, but three definitely, most probably four, and they will be in different parts of the world. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm going to say right now. So, um, <laughs> okay. Uh, but we're definitely expanding on that front, and, and of course the number of people we get are expanding. I mean, partly because it's us, I hope, but also because obviously there's a lot more interest than there was. Gosh, was it three years ago yeah. that we something like that? And again, representatives from big companies, small companies, startups. Um, Everybody. Companies in the adjacent space. I mean. Yeah. You know. A lot, you know, we have, I mean, basically this conference will be a little different in terms of structure. Uh, we'll have two-hour clumps, as it were, all on, well, consisting of different groups of speakers and, and speeches and things. And they're all sponsored by. Uh, different corporations, you know, they give us money and they put all sorts of advertising stuff out there. But some of those are, are not quantum companies per se. So we had Accenture, big consulting company, which is very interested in quantum and, and sponsors us. We had the, uh, one of the Canadian governments do that, obviously, because they're interested in, you know, um, economic development aspects and they, they sponsored us. And, and some of the companies are very small. Um, I mean, one of the companies that, because I, in part because I know them very well and I thought they had an interesting business proposition, is three or four people, and that's not atypical with many of these companies. But then uh, we had Amazon. Um, only people work for Amazon, but a lot. Uh, IBM uh, has been a, a very consistent sponsor of our conferences, and I think that's 120,000 people. Um, they didn't all come, and, and obviously they're not all involved with quantum. <laughs> But they are a very important player in this yeah. space. So just about every size um, and nationalities. Yeah, uh, that the forty-six you mentioned were companies who, you know, everybody who came for one reason or other. But we had a very international group of people um, speaking. Um, oh well, your thing, Chris. Uh, experts on employment, um, and we had people there from Africa as well as from. The obvious places, Europe and the US, uh, and some Asia. We hope to get more Asia, Asian attendees and also more Asian speakers in the, in the future. But um, 
we did have Toshiba sponsoring us too, so that's the Asian connection right now. I think I just want to reinforce the fact that Accenture was there, which ties back to the idea that it's people interested in business applications, right? So, I mean, Accenture's clients, I'm sure, are coming to them saying, what do we do with this technology? How do we leverage it? So that's exciting. I think that's... Yeah, right? and, and you'd have to ask Accenture exactly what they do, but they also you know, help quantum companies develop their businesses appropriately around that because this is all, in some senses, a very new area. Yeah. Right? If it follows patterns from the past. Yeah. So, Lawrence, if people want to learn more about the event, where do they go? What's the website URL? Can you just uh, share? Well, we have uh, different rent websites. Um, the main one, and you can get to any of our other bits and pieces from that, is InsideQuantumTechnology.com, InsideQuantumTechnology.com, uh, and that will give you places to you know, shoot off from to look at our reports, uh, to look at... Um, Actually, we've got a list of some of our customers who give you an idea of people who buy these things. On the event side, there's an events tab, and it looks like the next quantum event, as you mentioned, will be uh, 1st to 5th of November in New York. And when I click, the site for that is not up yet, but I clicked on it this morning and it, it, it actually clicked. It didn't just sit there and look back at me. So I think we're on the, on the, on the verge of putting up where it's going to be, uh, how much it costs, uh, and actually all the speeches and um, panels, um, but not yet all the speakers. But that will start appearing, you know, as soon as we get the site up, which is going to be very close indeed. Well, Lawrence, we're at the end of our half hour. Thanks so much for joining me. It's been a delight speaking with you. Thanks for sharing your perspective and insight. Oh, thank you. And um, yeah. We'll see you soon. Hope to see all of you in New York in November. Again, a final plug for our event. So yes. thank you for listening, and uh, we'll see you on the next one. You've been listening to the Quantum Tech Pod, brought to you by Inside Quantum Technology. For more information on this episode or other topics relating to quantum technology, visit InsideQuantumTechnology.com.